A lot can happen between falling in love with a house online and owning it. Between imagining living there and breathing in your new home for the first time. Having an advocate who can help you navigate the complex world of financing, inspections, negotiating, analyzing the market, and talking through any anxieties that may pop up, that can make all the difference. That's what the expertise of a Realtor can do for you. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors and bound by a code of ethics. Because that's who we are. Just be who I am. You know, come out and be that leader. You know, stay on top of my guys. You know, it was a little bit tougher in game one to do it because you weren't out there. And as a player, sometimes when you're on the court and the guys or who's not on the court trying to tell you, you just kind of really don't want to hear it. You're listening, but it's tough, you know, and it's a different type of energy and feel when, you know, when I'm out there on the court, able to bark out the commands and really get into my guys and get them motivated. Because now it's like, okay, you know, if, if he's going to go out there and do it, I don't want to be the guy to slack. And so I got to come with it. And, and that's the beauty of having me on the court um, to do that, to settle us down, um, to get us what we need to do and uh, make plays for my teammates. This only counts as one. You know, that's, you know, that's what uh, uh, the, you know, experienced, uh, you know, players in the locker room and staff, uh, you know, understand uh, <laughs> we don't like it, you know, um, and they 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 played extremely well. Um, you have two really good teams, and uh, you know we just have to to figure some things out. Um, they tried to embarrass us. They did embarrass us. So I, I think we got to realize that. Um, use it as fuel, whatever you want to say, but realize that the game can get out of hand whenever you're playing against a really good team like them that can score the ball and get stops. Um, so overall, we just have to be better. I think I got a. A, a bit selfish on an offensive end, uh, and I, I gotta look to to use my teammates. They've been there for me all year long, and I gotta get back to that um, because whenever they're scoring, whenever they're aggressive, we're a much better team. I look at Marcus Smart, Michael, and I just think about a guy that was called for such a time as this. You know, I think about mm. his career. I think about him coming out of Oklahoma State. Uh, even the controversy at Oklahoma State with, with, you know, one of the original fan <laughs> interactions, if you recall. But, you know, yeah, his growth. Hasn't changed and, all that much, and, has it? <laughs> right, right. His growth, his evolution, his development as a player uh, and a leader. Uh, and I think more important than being the perfect player, and we know he's not perfect, um, but more important than being the perfect player or, or even being the prototypical point guard is being the perfect fit. And you just saw that yeah. last night. Like, even with the numbers, what was it, 20 points, 12 assists, uh, 24. timely shot making. 24, I beg your pardon. 24 and 12. Yeah. Timely shot making. Um, you know, we know what he does on defense. It's more than that. It's just, it, you could name quite a few better point guards in the NBA. But you will right. not find a better point guard. There we go. 24 points, nine rebounds, 12 assists, three steals, five threes. I mean, my God, you can find better point guards, but you will not find a better point guard for this championship caliber Boston Celtics huh. team. That was just that was just one yeah. of many uh, takeaways uh, from last night's game, but I'll pass it to you. I will mark a smart this thing to you. Pump fake, one dribble, pass, yeah. bam, layup. How about how about the first assist? The, it's like the first assist of the game where he kind of dribbles around the world. Seems like he's dribbling himself into trouble. Then a bullet pass out to uh, out the three point range for an open three. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Marcus Smart. It's funny. You're right. Everything you just said about him. He's such an interesting player. That the Celtics, as you pointed out, they drafted him in the first round. Same same draft as Joel Embiid. So when B goes three, I think Marcus Smart goes six. Julius Randle goes seven behind him to the Lakers. So the same draft, Celtics draft him, and they already have a point guard in Rajon Rondo. So Rondo's there toward the end of Rondo, beginning of Marcus Smart. So they have their teammates. A little bit, right? Just a little bit? Rondo-ish? And so that's what he said. On draft day, they said, they asked him, I remember this, like yesterday. Hey, what do you think of the Celtics? He said, hey, they got a point guard who reminds me of me and Rondo. That's what he said on, on draft day. So 
So they have a point guard in Rondo. They kind of move on from Rondo. And it's almost, it was almost like they were doing that Camelot thing. Okay, who can who can pull the sword from the stone? Who can be the point guard? They yeah. went through Isaiah Thomas, IT, yeah. the other IT, little man, Kyrie Irving, Kemba Walker, Terry Rozier. <laughs> I mean, they always looked at somebody else as their point guard, and Marcus Smart. This is why he's talking They're like this last night. He said, hey, this is what this is what I really want to do. They use me as this Swiss uh, Swiss Army knife guy, but I'm a yeah. point guard. And, and so yeah. that's one. He's playing the position he should be playing. But the other thing, Mike, and I love this about the playoffs, this series will really determine. This series will be determined by players who you don't quite you got to kind of understand them. You got to kind of play with them or watch them all the time to get them because the numbers don't tell Marcus that story. Smart. On one hand, it's obviously Jimmy, Jimmy, Jimmy Butler. Butler. Yeah, Jimmy Butler. Yeah. All right, the numbers yeah. say Al Horford. not a great three point yeah. shooter. Yeah, right. but but especially these two, I'd say Butler and and, and, and Marcus. That's smart. Numbers yeah. say Jimmy Butler. Don't worry about him from three point range, but you'd be a fool to leave him open in a game that matters. Or you'd be a fool to dismiss sure. his outside shot in a game that matters. And Miami Heat fans know that, and, and I think Philadelphia fans know it now, and so do Minnesota fans. Everybody, Chicago, everybody watched him. Mark is smart. Numbers say he's a barely, he's like a 38% career shooter. That's not great, right? <laughs> he's never, he makes he's never made ones. an all-star team. <laughs> Yeah, he's a defensive player of the year type. I mean, one defensive player of the year, but he's always been in that conversation since he's been in the league. But you said it absolutely right. When there's a big game, Marcus Smart usually does something to help them win it. He didn't against Milwaukee in that, that disastrous game five. He probably gave Milwaukee the victory, but most of, more often than not, he's going to do something that you, you have to be there to kind of understand how brilliant it was. The eye test was created for guys like Marcus Smart. I usually reject the idea of the eye test, but Marcus Smart uh, is is the uh, the best example of the value of the eye test. But let me ask you this though: um, two games, two blowouts. I mean, I just want a close series. I, I'll settle for a close game at this point. Um, yeah. It, it, you know, it, it felt like, with the exception, it feels like with the exception of that third quarter of Game One, that the Celtics. Dare I say it in a 1-1 series again, each team has traded blowouts and I don't mean to underestimate uh, Miami um, and for postseason purposes, the Heat have the best player. Um, but it feels like the Celtics are the better team. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think the Celtics at their best. Celtics at their best, I think, are at better than everybody in I think they're better than everybody in basketball at their best. When so, healthy. Can, can I ask you this before when, we yeah. switch topics? Can I ask you this before we switch topics? Just, I'm just curious. Yeah. And I don't mean to be facetious. At what point yes, did you, you arrive I, at this I, conclusion? I know you okay, I, yeah, say, I do. Even yeah, before I do. you said yeah, that. I do. Yes, you do. I absolutely do. I know you so well. I absolutely well. do. At what point did you arrive you, at this I conclusion? I know you so well. Go ahead. Go was, ahead. It, was, it, was it game six in Milwaukee or the game seven that you thought they couldn't win? Okay. At what point did you okay. arrive at the conclusion that the Celtics at okay. their best were better than anybody else in the playoffs? I'm okay. just curious. I'm just curious. Listen, I backslid. <laughs> I backslid after game five. Going to the playoffs, I said the winner of the I knew Milwaukee you were hurt. Celtics series. I knew you were hurt. <laughs> with win it. Not hurt. I was like, ooh, I see that. Oh, I don't like what I see there. So I had a little backslid, backsliding situation. But I'm going at the altar, put the oil on me. Put the, lay hands <laughs> you, on me. You begging the church's pardon? Okay, look. We'll come I, I, back I'm to, sorry. I'm sorry. We'll we'll come back to this series in a second. But the Celtics actually have gotten two wins over the course of the last couple of days. Here's Bob Cousy on JJ Reddick. People with less talent will always try to make a name for themselves by criticizing other people and hopefully getting some attention and perhaps increasing their credibility. So when you respond to something like this, you play into their hands. I won't do that, but I will defend the firemen and the plumbers that he referenced, and I'll just give you a few of their names of these firemen. 
that I played with and against during those years. How about Bill Russell, the aforementioned, not too bad a player. Will Chamberlain, remember that guy? He wasn't bad. I, I, he, I, I guess he must have fought fires as well, but in any event, uh, Will Chamberlain, still the best, in my judgment, small forward that ever played the game, a guy named Elgin Baylor, a couple of uh, a couple of point guards that weren't too shabby. My colleague, who got also had an award created, a guy named Oscar Robinson, who who was pound for pound the best player uh, perhaps in the game. Jerry West wasn't too shabby. The guys on our team, Sam and Casey Jones, a guy named Hondo Havlicek wasn't too bad. Tom Heinsohn, uh, Frank Ramsey, uh, George Mikan, Bob Pettit. How I could go on and on. And, and and we must have had the best firemen and plumbers on the planet at the time. So, and I was very proud to play with all of them. Unless you've been under a rock, um, you probably know that this stems from J.J. Reddick in defense of Chris Paul going at Mike Mad Dog Russo on some show and saying that back in Bob Cousy's day, they, Bob Cousy was playing against plumbers and firemen. Uh, this happened a couple of weeks ago. Cousy clapped back, took his sweet time and clapped back something serious <laughs> on Sirius XM yeah. radio. Michael, I've seen some footage of Bob Cousy. I don't ever recall seeing Bob Cousy dunk. Okay, <laughs> Bob right. Cousy just yammed it on JJ Reddick and anybody <laughs> else who wants to disrespect players from back in the day. My favorite part is I'm not going to give this any more oxygen. I'm not giving him any attention he deserves, so I'm not going to respond. However, here go the uh, receipts. Yeah. <laughs> and listen, and uh, first of all, I'm biased on a couple of counts. I mean, I you've met, how many times have you met Bob Cousy? I'm about to say you had to have encountered yeah. Bob Cousy. Yeah, yeah, times, right. Have, have yeah. had lots of conversations with Cousy. I spent a lot of time with him. Um, he is, as you can tell, like Cousy's been around for a long time, sharp as a tack still. And, um, you know, he did TV. He did TV for a long time, up until about 10 years ago. He was in a three-man booth with Tommy Heinsohn, rest in peace. So Heinsohn, Cousy, and those guys... See, I have so much. Res- I, this is why I say I'm biased. I, I, one, I enjoy conversations with them when I was covering the beat. Two, those guys taught me so much. Of, they allowed me to put the league that I saw into context because this, their recall and their scouting reports mm-hmm. on the players that they played with and played against just helped me bring them to life. And, you know, in addition to the, it's like, you can watch the videos anywhere. You can go. You can watch the 1968 NBA Finals right now if you wanted to. But their recall of it kind of brings context to what you see in the video. So they tell you stories from behind the scenes. They tell you like how they get into a guy's head, and like, you know, rivalries, all kinds of stuff. And so I'm, I'm always disappointed when I hear people talk like this about players before their time, because yeah. I, I think whether it's basketball or broadcasting or anything, you don't really love your industry. You don't really love or understand what you're doing unless you understand how you got there. So yes, yes, players today are more athletic than they were in 1957. No kidding. Yes, that's true. The league is bigger now than it was. It would be hard for the the Celtics or anybody else. Yeah, yeah, to win eight straight championships like they did and to win 11 right. and 13. That's not going to happen. It's anymore. a global it's a game. Era. It wasn't a global game. It's a completely right. integrated game. It's an international game. You can you can say that you prefer Chris Paul and we never talked about this because we were never going to talk about it for reasons that are understood and therefore need not be spoken. But nonetheless, right? You can say <laughs> you can say that today's player is more advanced and arguably more skilled across the board than yesterday's player without disrespecting and diminishing it. And listen, I'm no, I'm no stranger to hyperbole. I get it. But to reduce yesterday's greats, many of whom, if you took them in a time capsule, they walked through a Doctor Strange portal 
and walked into 2022. Right. They find a way to get buckets. They find a way to win championships. Right. They find a way to compete. They'd evolve, right? If, if you could, but you can say that by and large today's player is better or that Chris Paul is better than Bob Cousy for whatever reason without suggesting that those are just a bunch of scrubs coming off the street. I mean, come on. Who had day jobs or jobs or, or had jobs on the side to feed the family because the NBA business wasn't booming back then. And a lot of them did. I mean, I, I really do think I, I think it's so disrespectful and so ignorant to say it. Mm -hmm. Yes, they did. A lot of them did have day jobs, which is a testament to some of the things they, they were able to, to do. They were, Elgin they, went they to were war. taking <laughs> yeah, they were taking the trains. They were taking trains yeah. to some of yeah. these outposts that, so they that didn't you have didn't have to. to. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They built the league. So but Bob Cousy is playing in a league that's not even 10 years old and becoming one of its first stars. So he's one of the first superstars in the league. Tommy Heinsohn and Oscar Robertson, who Bob Cousy mentioned, sat there in Boston in 1964 at an all-star game and said, we're not going to play. I know you got cameras out here. We're not going to play until you agree to our deals. That formed the basis of what today's Players Association is. So it's just disrespectful to just look at these guys like they didn't have value. They had value on the court and off the court. That's a joke. Amen. That's a joke. He Amen. should he, he should just retract that. Retract that. Bring that back. Amen. But thankfully, it, it, it got Bob Cousy <laughs> to, come, to come back in defense Thank of, you, of his generation. That was priceless. Um, speaking of clapbacks and speaking of getting owned, Deion Sanders promised to respond to Nick Saban, and he did. But first, uh, here's Saban's quote-unquote retraction. You just mentioned retraction. Not even a retraction. His very sloppy backpedal. For a defensive genius, Nick Saban don't know nothing about backpedaling. Here's Nick Saban apologizing last night. Little wobbly. I should have never really singled anybody out. You know, that was a mistake, and I really apologize for that part of it. But I'm not against name, image, and likeness. I think it's a great thing for players. Um, you know, our players made a lot of money last year in name, image, and likeness. But, you know, I told our players to, you know, get an agent, get representation, you know, make what you can make. Players have always been able to work, and I think that's a good thing. Uh, I think, you know, the issue in college athletics in general now is, you know, the whole system of collectives and people raising money to, you know, basically play pay players uh, to come, whether it's to come to their school or, you know, pay the players that are on their team. Um, you know, we've always strived in college athletics to make everything equal, make everything the same, whether it's scholarships, whether it's Austin money, whether it's, um, you know, uh, cost of attendance, academic support, whatever it is. And, you know, now um, it's not really that way. And this has happened in basketball. It's happened in football. So, you know, I, I really didn't mean to single anybody out. Uh, I apologize for that. But, um, you know, it's the whole system. And is this a sustainable system? You know what I noticed? Nobody panics when things go according to plan. Even if the plan is horrifying. <laughs> Introduce a little anarchy. And everything becomes chaos. Take your time. Take you your know time. what, Michael? Bring it on. Bring it on. I'm, I'm an agent of chaos. Oh, you know the thing about chaos? It's fair. Okay, Nick Saban. Let's go ahead and remove you singling out Jimbo Fisher and Deion Sanders, whose response we'll get to momentarily. Let's remove that. Mm. So your issue is with the system, this wild, wild west, this chaos that is the era of name, image, and likeness. It's a yeah, beautiful yeah. thing. What's wrong with paying players to pay to play? What's wrong with players getting money to go to certain schools? I don't see the problem with it. Yeah. As a matter of fact, right. this ain't nothing but chickens yeah. coming home, coming home the roost. Belated happy birthday, happy heavenly birthday to Malcolm X, whose birthday was would have been yesterday. This ain't nothing but chickens coming yes. home the roost. If you're mad about how quote unquote out of control this system is, as with a the NIL boy and myself, boosters, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> chickens coming home the roost never made chickens me sad. Chickens coming home the roost never made me sad. In fact, it only made me glad. <laughs> you know, this is I'm enjoying this. <laughs> Because for yeah. far too long, y'all have gotten fat and happy eating off of the free labor, for the most part, free labor of these college athletes 
And so now yep, if you're yep. upset that you have no governing body capable of controlling this, if you're taking L's left and right at the legislative and judicial level, it's because you never fixed it. So miss me with the whole what's best for the players thing. What's best for the, pl for the players is to be able to play where they want for however much they can make. Okay, uh, Mike, so right. So right. So right in so many ways. Now, first of all, can we just start with the analogy? The analogy that I hear all the time. As if we didn't, as if we don't know the rest of the story, right? So the analogy that a lot of people use who want to, let's call them preservationists. Let's call them scared. Let's call them the old guard, um, uncomfortable, insecure, whatever you want to say about them. They always say, hey, we're creating a wild, wild west situation. So we're talking about the wild, wild American west, right? So the wild, wild American west, it's the unknown. Huh. So we had, we had the eastern time zone part of the country, and then we started to move a little bit to the central time zone. So what happened in the wild, wild west? What happened? How did it turn out? Do we, still, do we have an American west? Do we have a Pacific time zone? Do we have, we have states out there? Are they functioning states? We have California, right? We have California, Oklahoma, Arizona, uh -huh. Nevada. We got them, right? Are they okay? Yeah. Are they, are, are they reputable states? Oregon, Washington. So forget about this wild, wild west as if, oh, this is wild situation and it's going to be chaos and, and it will never right itself. And college football and college sports as we know it will never be the same. So what? I thought the other thing gonna, I don't I like you about it. A lot, wild, wild, real quick, I thought, I thought you were going to liken westward expansion uh, and liken the Native Americans who paid the cost for westward expansion to the yeah. players who have paid the cost for Nick Saban to be the boss Ooh. is that too, but go ahead. Now, continue. Now, now you're going. Hey, we, we, we need to bring in Doc Johnson for that and have a real conversation about that one. I'm telling you that that'd be pretty good. But the other thing is I look at Nick Saban. So Nick Saban is 70 years old. He's got a freaking powerhouse at Alabama. He's been on top of college football for a long time. And before he had that powerhouse at Alabama, he built one at LSU. He was building one in Michigan State. He's had a good run in college football. He's made millions of dollars. Things have worked out for him. He has sent a lot of guys to pro football. Everything, he's making plenty of money, $9.5 million at least. That's on the books, $9.5 million. Who knows what he gets in endorsements, all these things. So, I think really ultimately what he's concerned about is what's in it for me. What's it going to do? Yeah. What's it going to do for me? What's you know what it's going to do, Nick? It's going to create the equality that you're talking about and maybe it will create an inequality in some ways that you will not be uh, you will not be at the forefront of. Like you might be number 12 on a list, number 15 on the list when it comes to uh, universities and boosters. <laughs> And states right. that have income. Yeah. And so I think I think a, a couple of things are going on with Jimbo Fisher. One, Jimbo, give him, uh, give him credit. He went at the king. He didn't miss. He didn't no, he miss. Did not. He went right at him. Uh, I don't care about the rebuke from the SEC commissioner. Sit down somewhere. We having a fight. Sit down. <laughs> don't and come in way, here right this now. This is fun. <laughs> it's good right, for the right. game, actually. Shh. Believe it or not, it's good for you. Yeah, 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 please sit down. <laughs> yeah. Sit down. We don't, we don't need Wrong you doing like the peacemaker thing. He went at, he went at Saban. He wasn't afraid. He beat Saban finally this year. Mm -hmm. The first loss Saban has taken to one of his assistants. He didn't like that. And three, he's at Texas A&M with the emphasis on Texas. Everything is bigger. They got more than you got. Pockets are deeper than what you got, even though you're at Alabama. And he knows that Jimbo Fisher, his smart assistant yeah. with the number one recruiting class, his former assistant back in the day, has the right. coaching chops and the political chops the threat. to the raise threat. more money, All to raise more money and get it done. All of this is about upsetting the established order. Okay? And that's why everything is becoming chaos. Because whether it's coaches having all the power in universities and coaches and, and, and conferences having all the money, this is everybody's panicking because their way of doing things for so long that have been so profitable yes. 
is falling apart. Right. It's falling up. It's falling apart and, and, and they can't get a grip on it because they kept putting it off suggesting. Oh, you know what? Wait for a, a more convenient time before we start incorporating players in this money. But we, I, I don't want to miss with the time we have left. I don't want to miss out on Deion Sanders because they yeah. oh, you know, Nick rope Deion into this and Deion is like, hey, don't like much like Jimbo Fisher. Don't don't call me privately. No, we having this conversation publicly. Okay, you want to talk about it? Let's talk about it. Yeah, and the wrong person to bring into this is Deion Sanders because as Deion said, I know where a lot of the bodies are buried or more specifically who handed out what bags to whom in my various roles as godfather of the cornerback position NFL network analyst personality camp counselor all these different things cultural uh, influencer and now as Jackson State head coach like if you want to talk about it let's talk about it you know like every like everybody everybody out here having this conversation none of them should be taking the holly ground high ground excuse me acting holier than thou so Dion right. was like look he was like look we, we I don't make a million dollars <laughs> you know what I'm saying but 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 what he also observed he said he said not only did Deion Sanders say I looked at my watch and I got time today he said I don't even wear a watch and I know what time it is he's like Nick Saban was talking to those boosters and that and that makes total sense Nick Saban was yeah. telling those people in that audience in Birmingham if y'all don't get your act together that's right number two is the highest we gonna be because without y'all doing the booster collective the NIL collective thing that everybody else is getting in on we can't continue to do it the right way with equal opportunities for everybody or not paying players to come to Alabama. I but once they, can, they get though. to Alabama, allowing them to make money through NIL, then if y'all don't step up, then the Texas A&M's of the world may move past us. But I say again, nothing is wrong with these payers getting paid to play. It's long been professional sports, regardless of professional football, regardless of what y'all wanted to call it. It's always professional football for everybody but you know the what? players. You, you know what, uh, Mike? Uh, I, I might be, I might be a little slow. I might be a little slow, trying to get it. I listened to Nick Saban in his original statement, and I listened to his retraction, and I was like, okay. So where's the problem? <laughs> right. I where's still, the problem? I, I, what's the issue? I'm sitting there waiting. What's your, what's your I'm issue? waiting for the. It's like going. It's like sitting at a movie waiting for the like the smoking gun, the bombshell. Like, oh. Aha! Ain't no aha, Nick. It's just you got to evolve. It's like same thing you tell your players. The game is going to present things to you that you didn't plan for. How are you going to advise? How, I mean, how, how are you going to adapt? Are you going to succumb to adversity? Or are you going to overcome it? You going to come up with a new plan, or are you just going to stick to what you already know and yeah. and and die? Survive. He's adapted before. Survive or die. He's adapted before. I expect him to do it again. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. It's a giddy kind of fun. I mean, especially having missed the playoffs the last two years, I think our guys are, are really excited to be here. We also have a lot of, of uh, young guys who weren't here, you know, for, for the five-year stretch of, of getting to the finals. So um, it's a good combination of some uh, the vets being hungry and excited to, to try to, you know, get back to the finals and uh, a group of, Newer additions, both young players and vets who have signed here over the last couple of years or who we traded for, guys like Wiggs and Otto, uh, Jordan Poole, they haven't, they haven't tasted it yet. So it's a, it's a good mix. Spencer Goodwill is here with us. Well, not literally here. He is in San Francisco for game two. It's just one game. Um, the Mavs missed a ton of open or wide open three pointers. So you don't want to overreact Vinny, but 
Uh, it feels like, and you wrote about this uh, on Yahoo eloquently on Yahoo. It just feels like when they're locked in, um, mm. the Warriors have that dynastic feel to them again, that dominant dynastic feel to them again. And furthermore, they seem hungrier than a team that's as accomplished as they are typically would be given the last couple of the struggles of the last couple of years. You're, you've been embedded with this team in, in, in this conference finals. What are you seeing from the Warriors? What did you see in game one? And is there and, and what if anything can the Mavericks do going into game two? Well, I, I think what happens is when you're an older team like Golden State is I know you you bring in some younger parts to sort of augment the steps and the clays and the Draymonds, but that's the that's the heartbeat of this team. But when you're an older team, you can rev it up every once in a while and play a perfect light game. And we think of Golden State's perfect game being Stephen Clay hitting from everywhere and embarrassing everybody. But I think the perfect game for Golden State, especially back in their glory days, was locking everybody up. Their defense was the thing that, in my eyes, carried them. And then we just got sort of infatuated with the shooting. And I think when you look at Luka Doncic and Dallas, it's almost like, I won't say the perfect matchup for them, but it's a better matchup than the Memphis Grizzlies where, oh, we can focus in on one player, like a James Harden, like a LeBron James, except he's not as physically imposing athletically. He's just physically imposing because he's big. And I think that allows them to prepare for Luka a little bit better. Now, like you said, in game two, what can Dallas do? They can hit their open shots. They can be a little more patient. And I think, honestly, they're going to have to push the pace a little bit more. Like, Luka plays at a very deliberate sort of pace where he wants to run the clock down and everything else. But that doesn't allow for opportunities early. doesn't allow for opportunities for you to get it off the glass. It almost allows you to play right into Golden State's hands. And make no mistake, this isn't the best of Golden State. This isn't the vintage, you know, 2017, 2016 Golden State team. But I also think, guys, this is a team that knows, hey, y'all, we find ourselves in the conference finals, and we're not even sure where that great let's make the best of this because we don't know what the next couple of years are going to look like I think they're the team I used to say Miami was the most desperate team but at the last night I don't know how desperate they are but Golden State looks to be right now the most desperate team out of the four in the conference finals all right look Vinny I, I don't want to I don't want to take the bait I, I've learned my lesson of just going in making decorations too early. So I had the uh, Mavericks counted out in the last series mm -hmm. after two games uh, against Phoenix. And obviously that didn't work out. Um, I counted them out briefly against Utah, even though I don't have any love against for Utah since they didn't have uh, Luka in a couple of those games. So now, even if they go down zip two, to Golden State, just personnel wise, forget about making the open shots. You're right. Personnel-wise, do you like their personnel versus Golden State's personnel? Or when you look at it on paper and say, I, I, I'm just not feeling it. I don't like their personnel, but Luka's the great equalizer. And we got to be honest about what we're seeing with Golden State, too. Like, Klay Thompson is Klay Thompson in, I won't say name only, but he's not hitting the shots at the, at the clip that he was before. Steph Curry is not hitting the shots at the clip that he was before. We see the names and we get infatuated with their resumes and who they were. And Draymond Green made an impassioned defense of Klay Thompson yesterday saying, hey, y'all are saying Klay ain't back. He's back. Yes, he's back to the form where you can expect as much as you can from a player who went through an ACL and an Achilles in two years. But that still doesn't make him Klay Thompson pre-injury. Now, on the Dallas side, I still think they need one more shot creator that plays at a different pace than Luka, basically someone that doesn't need Luka to get his own shots. With this team, you have everybody largely that's dependent on Luka to get not only a good shot, but a shot. Like, Spencer Dinwiddie is a good third option off the bench, but he's likely to play off of the rhythm that's created by Luka and Jalen Brunson. Jalen Brunson I really like, but he's also small, so you can control him a little bit better. Now, I'm not counting them out. I would not be surprised if Dallas won tonight, right? Like, they've shown the remarkable ability to be resilient and to not care. And Jason Kidd, for all the low, hushed tones that he speaks in, where you can barely hear his voice over the microphone, that man carries a presence, and he lets his players know, 
hey, nobody believes in us. Nobody thinks that we're capable of winning, and they believe in him. You see those players parroting the things that he says privately, publicly, and he can sit back and be almost fatherly, almost quiet, like, you know what, guys? You know, we're okay just to be here. I'm back in the Bay. Golden State's this dynastic team, and he's quietly telling his team, hey, go get him. Uh, you referenced Miami earlier. You thought they were the most desperate team of the of the Final Four. Not so sure after last night. I, I'm not so sure I should even be phrasing the question this way, given that we've mm. seen two games and two blowouts. Mm -hmm. But that third quarter was really just out of control in game one. Boston's bigger. Um, you know, at, at their best, when they're whole, would you go so far as to believe that Boston is the better team even though it's 1-1 and all we've seen is two blowouts, but it feels like Boston is a better team in this matchup. Is that some Boston bias starting to creep in? I felt like no, I was dealing with not. this. Because Miami got the better, the best player in the series. I ain't coming yes, off of do. that. Yes, but they I'm do. talking about in terms, of, in terms of depth, versatility, size, you know, dare I say it even physicality. I, I think Boston's better. Not by much, but better. No, I don't think you're wrong. And I was watching the game yesterday with some friends, with, with some writer friends out here. And I was just looking. I was like, they're almost bigger at every position. Like, yeah. you know, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Marcus Smart, big dudes. You know what I mean? And we think of them as being maybe a little bit slight. And I won't even say soft being word, but maybe a, more, a little more offensive-minded. When you can have a front court with Al Horford and Time Lord, and not miss a beat and not miss anything right. as far as lateral movement, not miss anything on, on the switches, not not miss anything on, on the spacing on offense. Yeah, they, they're almost like a Rubik's Cube. They can form and be a bunch of different things at any given point during a playoff series. The question for me when it comes to Boston is they were not really good in close games. Not in the regular season, and then you saw in the playoffs against Milwaukee that they pretty much dominated a lot of those games, but they weren't winning the close games. They were winning the blowouts. If it comes close, do you give the edge to the Miami Heat? That's where I sit. But last night was mighty impressive. If Marcus Smart is going to play the way that he played, if Tom Lord is going to play the way he played, you're, going to need, you're not going to need 46 points from Jason Tatum to lift you above. And if Miami's not going to have anybody besides Jimmy Butler giving you, you know, a 30-point night, they're going to be in trouble coming back to game five being down 3-1. See, okay, look, I'm sitting here with my brothers, so I need honesty. I need honesty, for, uh, you know, between us, or we can't have any relationship if we don't have honesty here. We need it. All three of us, we got to figure this out. We got to tell the truth. And I, I'm going to start. I'm going to call myself out first. I had a, I put together a, Top 10 list top 10 players in the NBA recently, but it was it was a recency bias list and I put Jimmy Butler one slot ahead of Jason Tatum. I had Butler at eight and Tatum no at nine and but you no know argument. what? I'm gonna argue with myself. You know why? If, if, if I'm doing this list in December and you two as well, this is where y'all come in. Just be real with me. If I'm doing this list in December. I ain't got Jimmy Butler. At, at, in the top 10 like I, I feel like we do it because of what he does in the postseason but do we really think Jimmy Butler you really think Jimmy Butler is a better player he's, he's than been, Jason he's, Tatum he's been he's been an all NBA player he's been an all-star he's right. led the Sixers farther than they've been in recent memory he was great with the Bulls he led the Timberwolves to their only glimpse playoff. of glory before they got back to the playoffs. I'm not saying year. he's a script. No, you, you know, no, you know what I'm saying, I, but I don't it, need it's resume. not just the what I'm no, saying well, is maybe no, I'm saying I think you do. It's not just the postseason. It's not just the postseason with him. That's what I'm arguing with. He elevates it in the postseason, but he's a really good to great regular season player as well. One of the best two way players in basketball. He takes it to a superstar level in the postseason. So if you just want to go like body of work, he absolutely belongs ahead of Tatum. If you want to go prison of the moment, then you put Tatum ahead of him in December. But I think body of work, he absolutely, oh, oops, absolutely belongs ahead of Jason Tatum, uh, Vinny. And honestly, y'all, why would you trust a list made in December compared to a list made in May? Like, are, are we talking about the James <laughs> Harden too. Memorial Award here? Or are we talking <laughs> about the guys who play the best when the games matter? I mean, never mind 
that, you know, we've had, we had this Chris Paul, com- we had this Chris Paul conversation every year. We think it changes. Right. And then May and June shows up and then May and June shows up for Chris Paul or whatever circumstances that there are. Or May and June shows up for James Harden and whatever circumstances that there are. I want my best players playing their best when the weather gets warm. Not when the weather gets cold. That's not when it matters to me. So for me, you can be prisoner of the moment in the regular season when you have 82 individual exhibitions that we call regular season games. They are not necessarily interrelated. But when you're playing the same opponent every other day, I got to look you in the face. I got to know where you're going. You know where I'm going. The coaching doesn't matter. It comes down to execution. That, to me, shows me a greater indication of what players are actually the big game players. And Jimmy Butler, to me, he's got a lot of, I won't say flaws, but there's quirks. He doesn't strike you as the superstar that we've come to define superstar as. But when you're asking someone to play on both ends, when you're asking someone to be efficient, when you're asking someone to be present, when you're asking someone to not be afraid when the lights get bigger, that's Jimmy Butler. And I will go as far, and I said it on a podcast with Chris Haynes the other day, and I said Jimmy Butler has played the best of the remaining players in the playoffs, and I don't think I'm speaking out of time. No, no. He's okay. been the best player in these playoffs. And the bubble wasn't that long ago. Like, I mean, it ain't like he's fallen off a cliff since then. In that bubble, he was a bona fide top 10, if not top if five to seven player after that bubble. Yeah, final yeah. Play. Approaching the top ain't five, a lot, definitely. Ain't a lot changed since then, as far as I'm concerned. You know, he's been, he been hurt here and there, but you want to talk about best competitors, best performers? They ain't in the conversation. Hey, Benny, thank you. By the way, you look real cut up. I don't know if it's the shirt. I don't know if it's the angle. I don't know if you're pressing your arm up angle. against your body a little it's bit angle. to make it look hey, wider, but you look like you've been hitting the gym. That. You're looking I'm like Tay Diggs, right? Hey, you're looking like hey, the black gotta, male you model. Gotta, you're looking like Tail. <laughs> hey, 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 self-care, man. Can't can't be a butterface and be and have the bad body out here. You know what I'm saying? Got to do something. Looking good. <laughs> so, you're looking good. Looking good, Billy Ray. All right, <laughs> yes, sir. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. All right, Mike, it's time for the Axe Effect interview of the week. We like people who come in, they got confidence, they got swag. So who better to talk to today on a Friday than Jeremy Grant of the Detroit Pistons, one of the best scorers in the league, one of the most confident people in the league, confident on the court and off the court as well with his substantial charity work. And we'll talk about that uh, as we get later into the interview. But Jeremy, hey, thanks for joining us today, man. How you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, of course. At, at any time, we can we can learn from your confidence. I know that. And we were just talking. I don't know if you heard us uh, previous conversation. We were talking about how to judge players. Do we judge them on the regular season? What they're able to do? Do we judge them in crunch time? Uh, playoff performance resume? I'm just wondering, as somebody who's in the league, you've played against these guys, and now you're watching them. How do you look at, say, the top five, top ten players in the league? What's what criteria do you use? Yeah, uh, I think you do judge off the regular season a little bit, but I think uh, the playoffs is re- what, what really matters. Um, I think that's when you know everybody uh, turns it up a little bit more. So, um, I mean, me personally, I love the playoffs. I love being in the playoffs and. Uh, it's it's a different feeling, but I I definitely think um, that's a, something more important to uh, if we're talking about the criteria of uh, players, top tier players. In, in your Olympic experience, Jeremy, you, you know something of a postseason format itself, and you guys got it done, brought brought home uh, gold for the United States. You got a chance to be around a lot of the performers that we're watching in the postseason right now, and Jason Tatum, 
uh, in Draymond Green, uh, in Bam Adebayo, all pictured there, and, and, and the champion, uh, champions, I should say, and Drew Holiday, uh, and Kyle Lowry, and, and, and Chris Middleton, and so on and so forth, Kevin Durant, you know, on that team. You got to be got to be around a lot of accomplished postseason players. You know, I'll ask you something of a two part question. You know, what did what did you glean from them? What did you take from those players during that Olympic experience? And what did it do for your confidence coming off of that Tokyo Olympic experience and going into Detroit? Uh, it was I mean, it was an amazing experience for me, um, you know, just being able to watch the, you know, the superstars in the league and, and watch uh, the routines and, you know, how they prepare for games, how they uh, how they prepare in, you know, everyday life, you know, whether it's, you know, going to the gym to get a lift in or, like, stretching, making sure their bodies are good. So, I mean, I soaked all that in. Um, I think, I, you know, I'm pretty good at pretty good at having a routine and, and sticking to it. But, um, you know, just to, to watch them and, and, and watch them uh, – move in the way that they did. Uh, you know, I was really close with, with, with Drew, uh, Drew Holiday uh, when I was there, uh, with Draymond, uh, KD, you know, just, just being able to watch their routines, I think uh, it helped me to, uh, it helped me going forward, you know, picking up little things from each of them and, uh, you know, moving in, in that direction. That's such a great point. <laughs> What is that, Jeremy? No, I was I was asking that there was a two part question. Or did I answer it? I, I, yeah, well, you did it. Oh, you handled that. Oh, you handled it like a double team. It was perfect. You, you shot right over. That was great. That was perfect. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I was gonna say, but it's really it's really a great point, uh, fellas. I'll tell you. Look, Jeremy, I'm just gonna say right out uh, right now. The reason I talk about basketball, I got no game whatsoever. So this is not a basketball example. I'll just give you a, a journalism example. As a young reporter. I used to just kind of stalk the veterans who were doing it. I would learn by the way they talked to people, by the way they, they wrote their stories, and I would just take specific things. Like some of the people in the business you know now, like, you know, Michael Wilbon, I used to watch him or how he put together a column when he was at the Washington Post, a lot of others. And I'm just wondering, for, for you, in basketball, I can imagine it would give you a lot of confidence if you are around Kevin Durant and Jason Tatum and you see them do something in practice or they tell you about a technique that they do that you incorporate. Was there something specific? I, I know you took a lot of things from them, but is there something you specific, something specific you took from one of your teammates, at the Olympics and said, okay, I'm going to start doing that. And I'm going to incorporate that into my routine or, or my game. What, what, what was uh, one or two of those things? Uh, definitely, definitely. Um, a few things. Uh, one thing is uh, I talked to Drew a lot about defense and uh, how he plays defense and, um, you know, little little things that he does, uh, whether it's, you know, um, he uses a lot of t anticipation, so he jumps a lot of the, you know, um, a lot of the, the, the lanes that the, the offensive player tries to go. So, you know, we was chopping it up. So, I, I mean, I took a lot of that. Um, you know, he, I don't, you know, I don't want to divulge too much, too much of his information, but... Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, I definitely, I definitely took a lot of that from him. And then uh, watching KD work out, um, you know, he goes, he goes hard in every, um, every drill that he does. You know, he goes at game speed. So uh, I definitely took that as well. Speaking of young guys uh, and their confidence, I mean, Kay Cunningham, uh, you know, little bit relatively slow start, but after that, just really kind of took off this season. No, no surprise, first team All NBA rookie team. You know, what did you see from him and his growth over the course of his rookie season, his potential, and just the confidence that he started to develop as the year went on? Uh, I mean, like I say all the time when people ask me about him, uh, he's extremely poised. Uh, he doesn't give you rookie vibes, you know, um, when you're around him and, and, and when you're watching him play. And, uh, I mean, he's, he's, that's, that's how his game is. Um, it's, it's very calm, cool, collected. Um, is extremely talented. He could, I mean, he could do virtually anything on the court, uh, which is what makes him really good. He's a, he's a versatile player uh, through and through. And um, you know, uh, it's rookie season. You know, so at the beginning of the year, um, I mean, he was hurt for I don't even know, maybe the first 15 games or so. Um, yeah. 
so you know he had to get his foot in at, at that point you know um but i mean once you know once he got his foot in uh and you know got acclimated to our team and and to the to, to the speed of the game and everything uh he kind of took off from there hey um want to follow up on that with this i mean listen you you pay attention to what's going on in, in these internet streets uh you know you saw the lottery Pistons ended up with the fifth pick. A lot of speculation about your future, whether or not you would continue to be teammates with uh, Kay Cunningham. I've seen you connected to pretty much anybody that's anybody. It's Dame Lillard and the Blazers, the Pelicans, the Cavs, the Lakers, the Celtics. I mean, it's like your name is just ringing bells in these streets. Like, how do you deal with all of that uncertainty? And what gives you the confidence to know that you can go into a new situation and, and it fit right in? Um, the way you did in Detroit. Um, I mean, this is so. So I've been on four teams in eight years, um, and every team, not only every team, I have a different role, but every season, from every season, uh, my role changes. So uh, I always say the only constant is is change, uh, especially in my life and and, uh, and you know all the experience that I have. So. Uh, you know, seeing seeing uh, my name on a bunch of different teams and stuff, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't really bother me. Um, you know, like whatever is supposed to happen will. So I'm kind of like, I just, you know, stay uh, as calm as I can, as collected as I can, and uh, kind of just take it as it goes. You know, uh, Jeremy, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about, I mentioned off the top, just your your charitable, not just your your charitable charitable endeavors, but just your mindset of wanting to empower people, specifically, you know, underserved youth. And tell us a little bit about uh, our generation and and what you've been working on uh, recently. Yeah, so um, our generation foundation is uh, my foundation. Um, I have an amazing board with my mom, my aunt, uh, best friend. Um, yeah, uh, we have an amazing board. Uh, we, you know, we give back to um, single mothers and fathers, uh, inner city youth. Um, right now, we're building um, a homeless shelter in, in Detroit. Um, we have maybe eight or nine events a year. Uh, one of my favorite ones is is the one that you know my mom and and the rest of my board uh, really have taken hold of is Jules. Um, they, they just mentor young girls uh, just about how to navigate through life. And uh, I think it's extremely important for our culture to to have the older generation teaching the younger generation uh, how we should move, especially with, you know, social media and, and uh, the media kind of grabbing their attention and uh, moving them in different directions. Good stuff. I love it, man. Hey, Detroit's got a good one. And uh, we'll yeah. see what happens with you, man. Uh, you know, and you got to take it all in stride. But wherever you go, I'm sure you have your footprint in the community there as well. Jeremy Grant, we appreciate you, man. Thank you so much. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me on. All right, that was Anytime. the Axe Effect interview of the week. Pretty, pretty solid there. A lot can happen between falling in love with a house online and owning it. Between imagining living there and breathing in your new home for the first time. Having an advocate who can help you navigate the complex world of financing, inspections, negotiating, analyzing the market, and talking through any anxieties that may pop up, that can make all the difference. That's what the expertise of a Realtor can do for you. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors and bound by a code of ethics. Because that's who we are.